0: Pod the World is brought to you by Simply Safe. We all put off doing things we know we need to do. I mean, I know that I'm working on some thank you notes from my wedding. Oh, that's uh, pretty good. That's a big point of contention between me and my wife. Uh, But, you know, something always gets in the way. You want to organize the garage or do whatever funny how home security can be like that an unlikely pivot you know it's a good idea but there's always something holding you back that's why i recommend simply safe home security because you don't want the thing holding you back to be an intruder in your home whoa (laughs) (laughs) simply safe believes that nothing should come between you and protecting your home so they've gotten rid of the reasons not to get home security there's no contract ever hey contract no no price markups from any middleman no no installation windows who has time for that? Who's oh, that installing means Windows. periods of time. <laughs> I meant the Microsoft product. Yep. We're all clear here. <laughs> Most importantly, their system is engineered to do one thing brilliantly protect you. So, if a storm takes out your power, Simply Safe is ready. If an intruder cuts your phone line, Simply Safe is ready. If they destroy your keypad or siren, Simply Safe is ready. Simply Safe will still get you the help uh. you need. If your panic room breaks down because they cut the power and your kid is sick, and nothing's going your way. Dwight Yoakam isn't helping. Simply Sometimes Safe is ready. Your, your job's a joke. You're broke, and your love life's DOA. Simply Safe is there. Simply Safe is there. Maybe it's Overkill. Maybe it's Maybelline. Maybe it's the last thing you want to think about. Maybe this your holiday. life. Is, maybe your life is always stuck in second gear. But <laughs> Simply Safe. Maybe it hasn't been your day. Your week. Your week. Your month. Or even your year. The point is, with Simply Safe, oh, they'll be there for you. <laughs> They're always ready for anything. So get a jump on protecting your home today at Simplysafe.com slash Crooked World. There's no time like the present, fellow procrastinators. That's simplysafe.com slash Crooked World to get that protection you need today. Simplysafe.com slash Crooked World. <coughs> <I'll> be there <laughs> <fun>. God, that's <laughs> in my head forever now. Welcome back to Pod Save the World. I'm Tommy Vitor, and I'm here in studio, Ben Rhodes. Yeah, good to be here. Who you know, you love, who is excited to talk about General Flynn with me today. Very
1: excited. I've been waiting for this my whole life. Me too.
0: Later in the show, I talk with Rokhaya Diallo, who's a journalist, author, filmmaker, and activist
1: in Paris, who Ben met in 2017, yes. I think? Yes. She was at uh, our Obama Foundation Summit, and she you know, really got a lot of attention in France for her activism, you know, progressive voice on many issues in France and and perfect to talk about, you know, what's actually happening in yeah. the yellow vest. Project. She, uh,
0: she helped us understand the yellow vest movement in France, which has been roiling the nation, as yeah. we would say in a American headline writer for like six weeks. Yeah, yeah, and It's actually a pretty big deal that's could bring down a presidency or lead us to major changes. We don't yeah. know. Yeah, Listen to the interview and you'll find out. But Ben, we have a lot of interesting things to tick through today. General Flynn was supposed to be sentenced today. Yes. But After a little bit of back and forth, some extraordinary back and forth with the judge. Yes. (laughs) That that process was delayed. Yes. Which is interesting. But so, you know, there are a lot of crimes that General Flynn is alleged to have committed. Uh, He's Trump's former national security advisor. He's a former three-star general who ran the Defense Intelligence Agency before essentially getting fired early by the Obama administration. One thing that he is in trouble for is unregistered lobbying for Turkey. That is a no-no. His group, the Flynn Intel Group, received a total of $530,000 for its work. Just a quick refresher for all you lobbyists out there. When you lobby for a foreign government, you need to register under the Foreign Agent Registration Act. If you don't, it is a crime. Flynn was not very coy about his lobbying. He wrote an op-ed for The Hill that was published on Election Day <laughs> yeah. attacking a cleric, uh, yeah. a Turkish cleric living in Pennsylvania whom the Turkish government has accused of helping instigate a failed coup. Yeah. The goal was to, I guess, persuade members of Congress or the administration to extradite Gulen. So, Ben, who is, uh, am I saying his name right, Fethullah Gulen? Yes. Yeah. And why are the Turks so eager to Lock him up, as General Flynn might say.
1: Yeah. No, and, you know, there's a grab bag of criminality with Flynn. Um, yep. And so we can start with this, this crime. Um, so Gulen is a, a cleric that used to be an ally of Erdogan, right? So they kind of came up in Islamist politics in, in Turkey. And at a certain point, Gulen emigrated to the United States, and he lives in, like in Pennsylvania, something of a recluse. In like a senior center or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just, he doing? Just another guy in the mountains in Pennsylvania. <laughs> okay. But the reality is that there's the, he has these followers in Turkey who are prominent and have been prominent in the education system and the justice system mm-hmm. um, and became political opponents of Erdogan's, right? And Erdogan had a big falling out with Gulen and, and, and hated the guy. Then there was this attempted coup, right, which seemed to implicate and involve some of these followers of Gulen in Turkey.
0: Now that coup was wild. Let's pause. <laughs> that <laughs> was July of 2016.
1: Yeah, yeah. I yeah. will.
0: I remember watching, just yeah. jaw dropped. These tanks rolling through yeah, the streets. Yeah, it
1: was like a legit, you Did, know, old school coup attempt.
0: Didn't right? they? Didn't they? steal some Airplanes. f-16s yeah. and, and things they tried that they to were bond, like the parliament it was a, it
1: was it was, it, it was a wild thing
0: erdogan but, is on his plane yeah. facetiming a message to the nation saying yes. stand up and resist the army like
1: yes it was i, uh, I can't
0: imagine the kind of meetings you were doing.
1: no it was a crazy day although they did have it in hand pretty quick um and and so what happens after this is that erdogan decides that Gulen is responsible for this coup this is why this is important this wasn't some fringe issue, right? It's easy to mm-hmm. look at this and think, "Oh, Flynn just signed up, got paid 600k to lobby for the extradition of some weird cleric." This was like one of the leading foreign policy issues of 2016. Right. I remember being in meetings with Obama and Erdogan, where Erdogan would roll up like a lawyer with all these like, you know, those big Folders that lawyers mm-hmm. have that can mm-hmm. like fold out and folders. Ha- accordion folders. Thank you, and he'd have all these documents and he'd give them to us. He'd literally dramatically give them and say, "This proves that you know you need to send me Gulen, right?" And Obama would say to him and did say to him, "Look, in our system, unlike maybe yours, I can't just decide to like extradite some guy mm-hmm. who hasn't been charged of any crime by a judge." I can ask the Justice Department to review all of your evidence and make a determination about whether we can extradite him because he's a U.S. person. He's a lawful resident of the United States. We don't just render people to third countries where, by the way, Gulen would probably be tortured and killed. Yeah. So the Justice Department looks at this and decides that no, that actually there's not any evidence that directly implicates Gulen and what happened in Turkey. There's no basis to extradite him. So what's really important to note here about Flynn is the Justice Department had made a determination that, no, there wasn't enough here to extradite the guy. So Flynn is not only signing up as a foreign agent, he's basically signing up for that foreign agent to try to reverse the actual finding of the Justice Department and come up with some other reason to extradite this guy, right? So just like Mike Flynn undermined our national security with Russia, he's really trying to undermine the rule of law here because he's trying to say... Well, I support extraditing this guy even though our own legal system has not found any reasons to do so. How would you engineer a coup in Turkey from Pennsylvania yeah, to begin yeah. with? I mean, like, I guess,
0: I, I, you know, I've i read a little bit about Gulen and everyone's falling out, and I think it was like 2013. Yeah. But I just, is this just all a pretext to get him back because he wants to take
1: out his enemy? Well, you know, everybody should read, there's a great Dexter Filkins piece in The New Yorker about Gulen a couple years ago. I mm-hmm. mean, there's one part conspiracy theory, one part truth, right? Again, the truth is there are people in Turkey who have been followers of Gulen who are opponents of Erdogan, right? And it does have a bit of a feeling of like a secret society, right? Like people kind of meet underground, mm-hmm. they have conversations, they listen to audio tapes of Gulen's you know, sermons over the years. Weird. So it does have this following. But Erdogan has projected this onto like a much grander conspiracy theory. He used to call Gulen a terrorist. He'd call him Turkey's bin Laden to us. Um, And he really said without evidence that Gulen was really pulling the strings on all this stuff. All Mm -hmm. the political opposition that that Erdogan faced at home was because of Gulen. Why would Erdogan do this? Maybe he in part believes it. Maybe he also just it's the bitterness of having someone he fell out with. But also it's convenient for Erdogan to say, I have no real political opponents at home. I just have these crazy Gulenists. In External other words, there is some real opposition. Erdogan, he's an authoritarian, right? There's secular opposition. There are people who just don't like the direction he's leading Turkey in. It was convenient for Erdogan to say, no, I'm the only legitimate political leader in this country, and all my opposition are these kind of cultish, Gulenists following orders from a guy in rural Pennsylvania that suited his political narrative at the time. And so Flynn is essentially signing on for an effort to extradite a guy without any legal basis to do so, and to basically validate Erdogan's view of the world and politics in Turkey, which is that, you know, this is a vast, you know, Gulenist conspiracy orchestrated by this old guy.
0: Oh, <sighs> man, that's nuts. So, yeah. okay, so Flynn's arrest did not stop these efforts by the Turks to no. get Gulen back. This week, like yesterday, Turkey's foreign ministry said that the U.S. was working to extradite him back to Turkey. I guess Sarah Sanders was asked at the podium today and said Trump will look at the Gulen extradition. No, the, the, this which is what's so fucking crazy bonkers. about
1: this, right, is that you don't go shopping for an extradition. You know, like <laughs> like you don't go to another country and say, hey, we'd like you to gin up some reason to arrest this person who's legally in your country and extradite him to us. Like, you have to be found to have committed a crime. There has to be a basis to arrest this guy. And the way the Turks have treated this is like, yeah, we know you couldn't find any reason to extradite this guy, but you, Trump, seem to be hostile to the independence of the rule of law in your country. Why don't you just, like, render this guy? And let's be very clear about what we'd be doing. We would be rendering a guy without any basis in in the law to a country where he will likely be tortured and killed. Like that is not something we should do. He's dead. Yeah. He's dead. Man. Whatever you think of Gulen. That is dark. There should be legal protections, you know, that extend to people who live here.
0: And and I think like this context, I mean, it's interesting in its own right, but it's also, I think, helpful context for all the weird late stage general Flynn defenders who are coming out of the woodwork today around this sentencing, like this guy was willing to take a half a million dollars to help, try to send someone who our Justice Department says is innocent back to a country that would torture and kill him. Yeah. That's not a good guy in my book.
1: No. And again, if the Justice Department finds reason to arrest somebody, then I'll by all means extradite him. But like that hasn't happened here. It's been years. And they're still looking around, you know, for personal profit for reasons to do this.
0: Yeah. I mean, so this Flynn sentencing is delayed. We'll see what happens here. He's been cooperating with the Justice Department to the point where Mueller's team said, no, don't give him any jail time, despite serious crimes that we've been talking about, including lying to the FBI multiple times. Before we walked in here, I was reading the 302 reports, yeah. which are what the FBI fills out when they interview someone uh, like General Flynn. Is there anything else about this matter that you want to get off your chest?
1: Yeah, no. Look, I let's also remember <laughs> Mike Flynn uh, lied about, what he lied about is he talked to the Russian ambassador, Kislyak, about You know, not paying attention to the fact that we, the Obama administration, who were in charge of the government at the time, were going to sanction Russia, you know, indicating they'd make some deal later, Mm -hmm. uh, and also about how they should vote on UN Security Council resolution. I think what is notable here, right, is that Mike Flynn was speaking to the representative of the Russian government, knowing full well, by the way, that that Russian government had just interfered in our election to help elect Trump. Oh, yeah. Right? against the actions of the US government that is sanctioning that Russian government, right? There's a lot of suspicion about why he would do that. Let's also remember that like, part of the reason why there's been so much focus on this is, let's just assume that the Russian ambassador's communications are probably monitored, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not revealing anything, but like- was reported. Flynn, Flynn is probably talking to a guy, and In our intelligence community is going to get a record of that conversation. So what's been so telling about this, right, is Mueller would only extend this, you know, recommendation of no sins and choose not even to prosecute the turkey stuff, right, if he's getting something really, really good mm-hmm. from Flynn, right? There's no other reason for Mueller to give Flynn such a pass unless the, not just the nature of the cooperation, but the stuff that he's giving is very, very valuable. And what Mike Flynn would know is, well, who told him to talk to kislyak was it donald trump that directed him to talk mm-hmm. to the russian government about working against u.s interest did they discuss the russian interference in the election did they discuss the cover story that they'd be using for the russian interference in that election and if you look at this flurry of activity in december it sets up the entire obstruction of justice case right because trump comes in and, and when do we see him start obstructing right According to Comey, it's he pulls Comey aside and says, oh, let this Flynn thing go right Mm -hmm. after Pence, you know, got caught lying about it. Right. Uh, And then and then he fires Comey. The, The origin of this is all the Flynn thing. So what's clear is that Donald Trump is very nervous about what Mike Flynn might have told Bob Mueller and that Bob Mueller thinks that whatever Mike Flynn told him is so important that he's willing to recommend no jail time, even though the guy's a criminal. I think that suggests that in this web of contacts that he had with the Russian ambassador, that our intelligence community would have dead to rights, he must have done something quite extraordinary mm-hmm. that Bob Mellon knows about and that you and I don't know about yet. And this all could
0: have avoided. Barack Obama said to Donald Trump, the one person you shouldn't hire is Mike
1: Flynn. Don't hire this guy. He is
0: yeah. just yeah. not in the right place. Uh, let's say on Russia for a minute, because this is just a weird week or a couple of weeks really of like the legal system and government agencies catching up with news reports that we've yeah. all read years ago. This week, two new reports were prepared for the Senate Intelligence Committee that said that Russian influence and propaganda efforts were essentially on every major social media platform. They specifically targeted African-Americans to try to suppress the vote and and divide the African-American community, and that this effort continued long, long after the election. Uh, Notably, we learned that the uh, Russian troll farm loves Instagram, so they're Mm. like us. Russian Instagram posts received 187 million (laughs) engagements dislike uh it was also notable that google barely cooperated and seemingly made it as difficult as possible for the investigators to understand how youtube was used so that sucks uh facebook took a lot of shit google should too so youtube so i guess here's my question to try to push this forward the russians clearly don't care that we've uncovered all of this stuff, right? Like, yeah, I mean, you could kind of match up their covert Instagram, Facebook propaganda with the garbage that's on RT, their overt propaganda channel all the time. So Russia doesn't care. Trump doesn't care. No one's stopping anytime soon. We're going to see this again in the next election. So like, what the hell do you think we should do about it or the platforms should do about it to try to prevent you know, communities in the United States from having their votes suppressed or being targeted or, you know, all the things we should expect to happen in 2020?
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good question because what we're seeing is that the Russians, you know, they they find the places where there's already polarization or there's already some weird right-wing meme and and they just plow content into it and jack up the anger. Uh, I think that what the platforms need to do is you should be able to have some capacity to know where the information that you're looking at is coming from. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're looking at something that's been shared on Facebook, they should, you know, uh, the analogy I use, Tommy, is like Wikipedia, right? Which is a user-controlled platform. Mm as a step where it says whether a source is verified or not. And if there's some content that just pops up there that looks weird and nobody puts a footnote, it says this can't be verified, right? There should be some similar mechanism to be able to verify where content is coming from. And if if it's coming from Russia... And what we learned in the Facebook investigation, they saw that this was coming from Russia and did nothing to warn people, Mm -hmm. right? At a minimum, there should be a capacity to let people know where certain content is coming from. It should be relevant to the user of that information that it's originated yeah. from Russia, right? Right. If, especially um, if you're
0: representing your organization or your page as a a US-based say Black Lives Matter activist yeah. site. If that's coming from a troll farm in Moscow, that should be noted.
1: They should be able know-able. to code things in a way, I look I'm not the coder here, but that that alerts people to where content is coming from, right? You should at least be able to know who is trying to make you unhinged and angry about things, or who's trying to stoke division in our country? Other governments have done this, by mm-hmm. the way, and, and, and the, like uh, European governments have worked with their broadcasting and tech companies to say, let's share information together and mm-hmm. flag certain content for people, notably and, the French, right? yeah. and and they've said, like if we catch you doing this multiple times, we will pull this stuff down, right? And look, we had a similar conversation with the tech companies about, ISIS, right? That hmm. they were putting all this radicalization propaganda online, and that we had the capacity to work with them to flag certain content, and that ultimately they, you know, they the companies had to set their own standards, but they pulled a lot of that stuff down. Uh, I don't know why we should be giving a pass to a bunch of Russian troll farms to randomly be, ro- r- you know, weighing in on on matters of social division and political polarization in the United States.
0: Yeah, it's not not a good trajectory. And, and let's be honest, yeah. their,
1: their profit margins are helped by this right like what gets ad dollars is clicks that's right and anger gets clicks so the russian troll farms help a lot of these tech companies like make some money that's like the awkward truth
0: yeah not good pod save the world is brought to you by quip there's a buzzy gift on everyone's list this year (laughs) i bet there is something you'll use twice a day It was featured on oprah's twice a day oh i see perfect for everyone with the mouth must be a a new gift. This is it. The gift is Quip, an electric toothbrush designed to make brushing better. Quip's sensitive sonic vibrations are gentle. enough let's get back to the other gift on your sensitive gums. (laughs) Built-in. Wait, what's the one I'm going to use twice a day? (laughs) With guiding pulses to remind you when to switch sides. Obviously, I'll use the toothbrush twice a day, but but this one also says I'll use it twice a day. Quip is great for travel. It's easy to to bring with you. Yeah, but don't leave it on your suitcase. That's embarrassing. (laughs) It doesn't require a clunky charger and runs for three months on one charge. Quip is the gift that keeps refreshing, with brush heads automatically delivered on a dentist recommended schedule every three months for just. Five bucks. And you can even gift prepaid refills for a year to make sure they never get old, worn out, or ineffective. I love Quip. I use it. My wife uses it. I bought one for my sister for Christmas. She knows this already. Don't at me, bro. Uh, she's pumped about it. She loves the Quip. It already got to her. She's psyched. She is cleaner gums, and that's because of me. So, What a good brother. I got that wow. going for me. That's why we all love Quip. They have over 5,000 verified five-star reviews. It looks like a big tech gift with a stocking stuffer price just $25. If you go to getquip.com slash crooked world right now and get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush, and you don't have to tell your gifty that it's a free little bonus that they're in there, that's getquip.com slash crooked world, G E T Q U I P dot com slash crooked world. Get your first refill pack free. Check it out. Pod Save the World is also brought to you by Swell. Some things never change around the holidays, like the movies on TV or the exorbitant spending. I hope they don't change the movies.
2: Love the movies. I am
0: really, really excited to watch Christmas Vacation. I know every, I, every line to Christmas Vacation. I'm also really mm. excited for all the lamest people in the world to debate whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I can't express to you how little I give a shit about your opinion on this. I hate the debate about Die Hard being a Christmas movie. I hate the fucking debate over Love Actually every year. Just fucking... We did all this last year. Get a Netflix account. Your jokes aren't funny There's this year. There's other content. Because we had these jokes last year. Well, that's a great thing about Swell is your spending can be a catalyst for change that will be felt long after this year's reruns of It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. Swell is leading the charge to make impact investing accessible to everyone. Their wide-ranging theme portfolios are filled with hand-picked innovative companies solving the world's most is pressing issues. Is Jingle all issues. the way a Christmas movie? <laughs> <laughs> you can invest in anything from clean drinking water. What about the Santa Claus? To, yes, great movie. To renewable energy and disease eradication. Wait, is That's that the a Hanukkah one? movie. Oh, I was thinking Bad Santa. Yeah. Sorry. Elf? Elf. Oh, elf John, is, Favreau's. I would John call, Favreau's Elf. I would definitely Obviously. suggest that. I think Elf is a, definitely a Christmas movie. I know. No. it's part of the joke here. We've become what we hate. <laughs> for example, if you want to invest $1,000 a swell, that'll cost you just $7.50 for the entire year. You can't even get a month of TV streaming for all that. You couldn't even afford to watch a new movies You'll be stuck having this stupid debate we've been having. <laughs> <laughs> Die Hard is not a Christmas movie it's a gay movie it's about a love story between a police officer outside and a police officer inside the building what swells investors love most that you don't have to sacrifice returns sorry bruce invest. willis and reginald val johnson falling in love in line with your values it's a valentine's day movie swells portfolios are designed to be in that sweet spot between market performance and morals in fact stocks of companies with high environmental and social impact have outperformed the market for the past 25 years we all like reruns every now and then but why not try something different and more impactful this year Visit SwellInvesting.com to get started. Do it today for a $50 bonus when you open an account. Swell is great. You can invest in good companies doing important things for the world and make money doing it. Give it a shot. SwellInvesting.com. Swell, invest in progress. I want to turn to China quickly because there's been some reporting on this issue, but not nearly enough given, I think, the magnitude of what yeah, we're yeah, seeing. like The yeah. State Department is on the record saying that China has detained At least, at least 800,000 and possibly more than 2 million Uyghurs and other members of Muslim minority groups in northwest China in basically internment camps, concentration camps, uh, whatever you want to call it. That is a staggering number. Uh, They are apparently being detained without any actual charges. The families don't know where they are. And the goal is to essentially brainwash them, force them to renounce Islam, embrace the Chinese Communist Party, and, you know, go with the doctrine. So... Even more disgusting, on top of that, there was a report today that these prisoners are being forced to manufacture products uh, that get sold in the U.S., you know, sweatshirts, whatever, sportswear. Um, This is a staggering human rights abuse. How should the West be responding to a situation like this? I mean, right now it seems like silence.
1: Yeah. Well, and first of all, like Tommy, imagine if we could actually see it you know there are journalists in front of this and, and pictures of it i mean part of what's so chilling here is that it doesn't get as much attention in part because china doesn't let you see it right yeah. and you know you've rightly called a lot of attention to the situation with the rohingya mm-hmm. um, in a relatively nearby place by the way from western china ethnic cleansing taking place people in camps uh, the the numbers here are even larger than the numbers of of rohingya uh, albeit it's more kind of systematic. I think uh, wh- the analogy is also Tibet, right, where the yeah. the Chinese systematically over many years just destroyed the culture uh, and in kind of any sense of independent language and culture and religion among the Tibetan people, or have tried to at least. Um, they're clearly trying to do the same thing here. I think the West should, one, do more to expose what's happening here. I'm sure the U.S. government has overhead pictures of these places as information we should be publicizing that information yeah. I think we should be presenting that information you know at the United Nations and just trying to shine some spotlight on this because uh, China thus far has avoided any scrutiny for it that would be the the initial and obvious place to start and then you can go beyond that and and try to identify, particular people involved who may be subject to certain global sanctions regimes because Mm -hmm. of violations of human rights. Um, I think you can call for kind of commissions of inquiry, you know, the UN Human Rights Council. But the first step has to be on, on shining a light on this.
0: Yeah. I mean, one one shout out to an organization that's done some great work on this issue is the BBC. Uh, They did a report in October called China's Hidden Camps where they were able to do something. Basically, what you described, Ben, is like they took commercial satellite imagery and they were able to overlay the before and after pictures. And you see the scale of these camps. I mean, they're thousands of meters long by thousands of meters wide. I mean, you know, hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of people living in these individual places just prisoner.
1: Yeah. And I mean... The, you kind of don't think that things happen like this in the 21st century, like uh, up to 2 million people in camps, right? Try to imagine if this was happening in some other part of the world to some other religious minority, mm-hmm. right? Um,
0: it, oh, it, if Iran did this, we would have invaded oh, yesterday.
1: If Iran had camps with like, you know, anybody, we, you know, and, and this, and it does present the, the most difficult challenge of our time, which is that like China is trying to prove that Pure an authoritarian model can work, you know that you can get away with all this stuff as long as your economy is important um, and is big enough. Uh, And thus far, the the chilling answer is they they have gotten away with it.
0: Yeah, another major story out of China. There is um, there is a massive Chinese communications technology company in China called Huawei. It's the second largest smartphone maker in the world, I think, after Samsung. The CFO of the company, who is also the daughter of the founder, was detained in Canada a couple weeks back on suspicion of violating U.S. sanctions against Iran. So to summarize, Chinese company apparently breaking U.S. sanctions on Iran, detained in Canada, massive diplomatic problem. My first reaction upon reading the news was, oh shit, because Huawei is not just any phone company. They are seen by many in the US intelligence community as an extension of China's military. We don't trust their products. Like you you wouldn't let anyone who worked at the CIA use a Huawei phone, because there's an assumption that they could build a backdoor into it or monitor those comms. What did you make of those reports? And like, what do you think that the end game is here of detaining someone who is so clearly connected to the very top of the Chinese government?
1: Yeah. I mean, first of all, I don't really think, I don't buy the sanctions thing. Hmm. I, I buy that they are violating sanctions, right? Yeah. But the way in which you go about enforcing sanctions is not usually to start by detaining the daughter of the CEO and the CFO. You know, you, you, you impose a fine, you, right. you call, you know, there's something that's more aggressive about this. And the Trump administration, including the president of the United States himself, kind of alluded to the possibility that this could be leveraged in, right. in the trade negotiations. Right. So this seems to be at the nexus of concerns about Iran, but also the kind of China trade dispute that's taking place. And it sets a very dangerous precedent to be using people as chips like this. Right. Because what we saw is the Chinese already detained a couple Canadians. Right. Mm-hmm. And they could just start randomly detaining anybody for uh, violating chinese laws. Yeah, right? They're holding
0: a couple of american college kids, I believe, right now. Yeah,
1: they could just cuz it's not hard to find some chinese no. law that somebody violated, um particularly if it gets into politics, right? So the the dangerous game that they're playing is that suddenly people become pawns in these great power tests of strength like the trade war. I think the bigger context here is on the tech stuff with Huawei. The Trump administration and some of their kind of national security hawks are trying to say we don't want Huawei or any Chinese tech companies anywhere near the supply chain that we depend upon, right? Mm-hmm. Because they'll infiltrate it, right? And so they're they're trying to kind of cut off Chinese tech from the supply chain that America depends on, but that horse has left the bond, Feels tough. right? Yeah. Like, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. just
0: like- Foxconn's pretty yeah, important. Yeah, it
1: sounds really, you know you know, it sounds like a, a policy you can design in a room, but it's hard to exist in real life, right? So all these agendas are are intersecting here in this one case. And I got to tell you though like I was just up in Canada, they're in this terrible position, right? Because like they're asked to uh, to arrest this person by us. They cooperate very closely with our law enforcement, so they probably pick this person up. Then they got the Chinese detaining Canadians mm-hmm. uh, in in and so Canada's a good example of a country and this is going to happen more and more if we get away from a system where countries kind of follow the rules and abide by the norms where you're going to have, like, countries like Canada that are just stuck between the U.S. and China fighting it out here, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, it and,
0: sounds like the Chinese might have already cut off talks about a trade deal with Canada. Yeah. So they're feeling the repercussions, as we're trying to stiff the Canadians on trade deals. And not a lot of
1: Chinese business people are going to want to travel to Canada right now when they're just no. arresting random Canadians. So, I don't. I mean, to me, it felt like, like, you've been in the situation where, you're like, a crazy extradition, like, or uh, not crazy, because, uh, again, I'm sure there's some underlying crime. It's just the extreme step of detaining this high profile person, you know that that wouldn't happen without some White House process. Yeah. You know, even if it originated in DOJ, they would call the White House and be like, uh, hey, you know, what do you think about doing X? And there'd have to be some White House led process to to make a decision to detain this person. And again, to not do something if it's an Iran sanctions violation, like imposing some huge fine on them first.
0: Yeah, I think one thing that's people probably don't understand uh is the degree to which a single individual can become a a massive foreign policy challenge right i mean two u.s hikers were taken hostage in iran there was an incident when we were still in the administration like 2011 or 12 where a chinese activist sought refuge in a u.s diplomatic facility and there were months of negotiations about how to get him back to the united states i mean it can become all-consuming for a relationship with a country, and and also like take up a massive amount of mind share for an yeah. administration.
1: And that, yeah, and that means that the basic point here is, if this was really about getting leverage in trade negotiation, I think this is a really dangerous thing to have done. Mm-hmm. If it's really about a sanctions violation, we'll look at it, and, and and usually there are ways of addressing that without starting some dominoes of of countries uh, like China picking up. You know, U.S. and Canadian people in response. Yeah, not great.
0: Two pieces of war news. You know, those those places where U.S. service members are still fighting despite the fact that Trump's aides tell the press that he doesn't believe in the mission and he will never seemingly visit them. The Washington Post reported that U.S. troops will now stay in Syria indefinitely. So I guess that's the stated policy these days without any real debate or oversight from Congress. Meanwhile, in Afghanistan this week, the U.S., the Taliban, the UAE, and the Saudis, and the Pakistanis are holding peace talks. So you know, that's hopefully good. Uh, curious what you think about sort of the the state of both of those wars. And if, like, a bunch of liberal activists listening to this show yeah. are are trying to figure out what's happening or how we can maybe become more activists and, I don't know, push them to a conclusion, yeah. uh, what they should be doing.
1: Well, first of all, do you remember when we used to get criticized? I, I have to do this at least mm-hmm. once every conversation. Sure, sure. Because Obama didn't care enough about the mission, you know, like he, his speeches weren't... His heart wasn't He in didn't it. like rip his shirt off and, and yep. have an American flag tattoo so his heart wasn't in the Afghan mission. Can you imagine if we'd actually sent you out to say to the press, well, he doesn't really believe in the mission, that's, that's why he doesn't why he visit, the visit the troops. Yeah. It's, it's uh, appalling. It's appalling, right? On Syria, keeping troops there matters a lot, and we have no idea what they're doing. I mean, like, has anybody provided any explanation about no. how many troops are there and how, what they're actually doing? And so the first point is we just need some transparency on this because troops can stay in a place and that can lead to kind of mission creep, right? Mm-hmm. So they went there for one reason to dislodge ISIS. That's been done. What are they doing now? Are they Maybe they're participating in the reconstruction. Well, what happens if there's an insurgency there? What happens if there's you know, conflict with Iranian proxies in southern Syria? Are they going to mm-hmm. get kind of caught up in that? So I think there's more of a danger than people think that the longer our troops stay there, the more we end up kind of buying other missions for them. At a minimum, the Democratic House, and this is what activists can do, should insist on and can compel greater transparency. How many troops are there? How long are they there for? What is their mission? You have to come here before Congress and the American people and explain this. By the way, like, what is the extended legal basis for keeping them there, right? Great um, question. Uh, you know, so so th- these things all need to be aired. And, you know, thus far, this administration has avoided that. Despite Trump campaigning, right, on a platform, member, he was going to get us out of these wars. What the hell are we doing there? Yeah. He's escalated all of them, right? And he
0: said publicly a couple times that he was going to get all our troops out of both places, but then walked it back. I guess
1: nothing happens, right? And the mission creep just grows. And then in Afghanistan, here I think activists need to be making the the case that with a Democratic Congress and with a Democratic primary about to begin, people need to be just taking out the case that we need to get out of here. Mm-hmm. Like that, the, 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 there are people who are going to serve in Afghanistan this year who weren't even born when the conflict started, right? And there, there's diminishing returns here, and this idea. I mean, I'm glad that we're engaged in, 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 in peace talks. I think the challenge is we had kind of a, a mindset uh, among some of the people uh, who worked on Afghanistan when we were there that, well, we have to show the Taliban that we're willing to stay forever in order for them to make a deal. Right. And that was, so basically you have an endless justification to have troops there in support of the diplomacy. I think the Taliban has shown that that they're not going to go away just because we're there, you know. And ultimately what you need is the Afghans to arrive at some accommodation amongst themselves, right? And so I think we can and should support that diplomacy. I don't think we necessarily have to accept the logic that we have to signal our willingness to engage in a perpetual war in Afghanistan mm-hmm. just to have a diplomatic process underway.
0: Yeah. I mean, that was I feel like it was Petraeus or Petraeus or somebody floated the prospect of a Korea-style force posture in Afghanistan, which would mean tens of thousands of troops for, what, 60 years?
1: In a place where the people don't really seem to want us there, though. No. And that, like, let's keep in mind that it's the Koreans were like, let's, you know, it's great that you're here. And I mean, in Afghanistan, we haven't had troops there without people wanting to try to kill them, right? Um, and, and that presents a danger. And that also kind of demonstrates that this model, we've made a, I mean, You've heard me in the past talk about the blob,
0: right? I love that the blob is just a it's term a th- everyone uses it- it- now. It's a thing now, right? And it doesn't even always get ascribed <laughs> to you. It's just sort of a defined you know, thing.
1: I should have trademarked it because I you see all have. these people say, well, someone once said the blob, but, you know, this was about the groupthink around military interventionism in the American foreign policy establishment. One of the assumptions that the blob makes is there's a direct correlation between the presence of U.S. troops in a country and things being better in that country yes. right yes. as if like well if we just had more troops in the country things right. would inherently improve in that country and in fact the recent evidence you know and this is by the way no disrespect to the troops because their mission is to go kill people or blow things up or destroy things But the notion that just keeping a certain number of troops in a place for a certain time is going to inherently improve the situation there. Mm -hmm. No, in fact, our troops can become targets for insurgents. They can become motivators for insurgents. They can attract foreign fighters. They can exacerbate sectarian conflicts because different sects are playing one off the other. It can facilitate corruption because a bunch of grifters like Eric Prince show up and are like getting fat on the hog on the contracts, (laughs) right? So, you know, again, whether it's in Afghanistan or Syria or Iraq, let's not repeat the mistake of just thinking... You know, this is a mathematical equation and, and U.S. troops in country makes things better. And X number of U.S. troops will make things X times yeah. better. Afghanistan and Iraq have shown that, like, that's not necessarily the case. We had 150,000 troops in Iraq at the height of the war. And that was as violent a time as there was in Iraq. Right. Yeah. Not good.
0: Uh, ben, that's all I had. All
1: right. Anything yep.
0: else on your minds?
1: No, I, I, I'm debating the In N Out truck downstairs. The In N Out um, burger downstairs was, yeah.
0: was, was quite good. I highly recommend it. You'll regret it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I currently regret <laughs> it. But, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, when was yeah. the last time you had a big In N Out cheeseburger? I didn't know they had
1: tru- Is that a th- new thing? The, that's the a new truck thing. Truck.
0: It's a today thing. Our, our office sort of park area is trying to make everybody uh, get to know each other. So there's In N Out, ah. and there was a raffle.
1: Okay. Well, that's you so, did need better options around here.
0: Yeah, uh, I think Michael won something in the raffle. Our producer, Michael Martinez. Oh, that's. I've never. Congratulations. It was like a Minions. USB? USB? Yeah, I wouldn't put that on my uh, computer. Yeah. <laughs> ben, wow. Is it a Huawei? It's Minions? A Huawei is, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I, the, <laughs> whatever Ben and I went to a million like G twenties, G eights, yeah. like foreign summits. A lot of people were handing out USBs all yeah, the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was not. It, a, here's
1: a party favor bag with a USB and like a listening device. Yeah, it's. Um, I did, and it, we, you and I, don't I, I, plug I that both in. on the trip after we went to China where like our phones just started suddenly like doing strange things and like speaking to us in Chinese. Yeah. Like we had to turn in our, pho- our not phones good. at the end. Yeah, not it's not good. good. They're good at This stuff about the Chinese hacking and using Huawei is true, I should add. Yes. Right? And we should do something about it. I just don't know if like starting a slippery slope of high-profile detentions is the way to go about doing it. Yeah.
0: I mean, we know our moral standing got challenged by Mr. Snowden too, but that's a conversation for another day. Yes. Ben, thank you yep, so much. Good, good uh, and now uh, the conversation with Rakaya Diallo. Pod Save the World is brought to you by ExpressVPN. There's a battle going on the future of the internet and your right to privacy. Big corporations, like ISPs and ad networks, are getting rich from selling your data. Did you guys read the New York Times story recently about all the crazy data tracking that's happening? on? I didn't read it because I was just like, ah, we're fucked. I saw the headline and thought, Tommy's definitely scared of this. It's freaky. Mikey (laughs) Barbaro got in my my head. I'm going
2: to listen to that daily because I want to catch up on the story without
0: reading. Per usual, he does a great job. (laughs) That's why
2: you do podcasts. Don't
0: (laughs) Don't get a big head about it, Barbaro. But Congress has completely failed to save net neutrality or protect your privacy online now Internet providers and mobile carriers. Why are you dialing a call? Like Comcast and Verizon are free to restrict (laughs) websites. Spy on your online activity or... Have so you not your heard of the fucking net to, advertisers, to Sandra Bullock? I brought this up in noise? the last ad. This is the sound of your death. I don't want my internet browsing to be tracked and sold. That's why I use ExpressVPN with one click. ExpressVPN shields my online activity from internet and mobile providers as well as hackers and spies. ExpressVPN has easy to use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer, phone, and tablet. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes my internet browsing by encrypting my data and hides my public IP address. And for less than seven bucks a month, you can get the same ExpressVPN that I have. ExpressVPN is rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and comes with a 30 day money back guarantee. If you ever use public Wi Fi and want to keep hackers and spies from seeing your stuff, ExpressVPN is a solution. Take back your internet privacy today and find out how you can get three months free. Go to ExpressVPN.com slash CrookedWorld. That's E X P R E S S V P N.com slash CrookedWorld for three months free with a one year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash crooked world to learn more. Pot of the World is brought to you by the New York Times Crossword. Uh John Lovett has begun Love It has begun the crossword. In a tradition puzzle. we're starting is going to do the crossword while I read the ad. So you listen Nothing to the Podcast. Oh, he's got his first word. Obviously you look for smart ways to spend he's your time. He's looking for a second word. When you're not listening, try this. He's got the second word? The New York Times crossword mini puzzle. It's a fun activity when you have a little downtime. The mini puzzle okay. takes only about it's two got a minutes, pause here. so it's a quick way to oh, reward goes, yourself anytime, Corgi, Corgi. anywhere. You can fit it in. Corgi. Every day there's a new puzzle. Love it doing the Sunday one right now it's with fresh left, clues to keep you sharp, and you can enjoy a short battle of wits with oh, yourself, one left. One left. Or challenge one, one, a friend one, one oh, to see who solves it the have a couple minutes, to discover <laughs> wordplay every day, play the mini puzzle for time well spent. Literally the only way to shut me out. <laughs> Download the New York Times crossword app at nytimes.com slash crossword puzzle. That's nytimes.com slash crossword puzzle. On the line from Paris, France is Bracaia Diallo, a journalist, author, filmmaker, and activist. Thank you so much for joining the show.
2: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Um, so I think for the last six weeks or so, a lot of us have been paying attention to the Yellow Vest movement in France. I'm curious how you would describe that movement, both the makeup of the protesters themselves and the reasons that people are out on the streets seemingly every weekend protesting.
2: Yes, it started on November the 17th. Um, Actually, it started from a Facebook group uh, of people who were uh, angry because uh, the government announced uh, the rise of the, the price of the fuel. And most of the people who were angry were the ones who don't live in urban neighborhoods, but who need to use their car uh, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And the feeling that they have was that the government was uh, putting more tax taxes on their back than on the back of the people who are, who are the, the wealthiest. So, from that Facebook group, they announced uh, a protest in the streets uh, of France on November the 17th, and the protest uh, happened everywhere in France. So it was not only in Paris, but also in very uh, various neighborhoods, and there were there were dozens of thousands of people out in, out in the street. Um, because I think that one of the main reasons is that Macron, Emmanuel Macron, our president, is perceived as the president of the elite, and people feel like they don't it doesn't really connect with them.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. I mean, it, you, some of the factors you mentioned are, are very important. I, I think most Americans probably don't realize that I think gas is about $7 a gallon in, in France, so that is definitely eye-popping, and that, you know, a lot of these people who live in rural areas really need their cars to get from place to place. But from my reading, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, it seems like there's also a reaction to Macron's policies and then a feeling yes. that he is elite and maybe arrogant. Uh, how much do you think that plays into it, if at all?
2: To me, that has played a major role. The thing is that the first uh, thing, the first measure that uh, Macron uh, um, decided to uh, to to uh, to vote, to to push when he was elected was to ban to to cancel uh, a tax that was meant to um, uh, you know to, to to make rich people the richest people the the people who are really really wealthy uh, pay to to pay it mm-hmm. was it was a tax that has been ongoing for decades that was really um, you know meant to 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 push the wealthiest people for solidarity so he he cancelled it mm-hmm. and. You know, having that and at the same time, the president deciding to raise the price of the fuel and the fact that, you know, when, when being on the ground, he has had very negative interactions with people. For example, uh, a few months, a few, yeah, a few weeks ago, he met uh, a man who was unemployed and who told him that he was having a hard time finding a job. And the president just, you know, look at him and said, you know, I can just Find you a job crossing the street. I'm sure that I'm gonna get you a job if I cross the street with you. And I was, you know, that was really offensive. And he, he, he has done that repeatedly to different people, and that was perceived as someone because Macron has never experienced any any problem. He's he's never been unemployed. He comes from a very you know middle class high uh, family. He he's, he was wealthy before being a president. So. People feel like he don't really realize how it is to live on the minimal wages and having trouble finding a job because, you know, he's never been elected. He succeeded in being elected as a president the first time he, 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 yeah, he tried. So that's one of the reasons why that measure, that measure, was Perceived as something that was just targeting the poorest people, and that, and that was motivated by the fact that Macron didn't understand what how it was to be a French with minimal wages.
0: Mm-hmm. That is fascinating. I mean, he, he what's interesting about what's happened is Macron seems to have. Back down very quickly and offered concessions. I think I read he offered um, maybe 8 to 10 billion euros worth of tax cuts and benefits increases, and then he suspended the gas tax increase for at least six months. Do you think that that's enough, and do you think it's likely to satisfy protesters?
2: I think it, it may it would have been enough if he decided to, to cancel that measure qu- quicker. Like, mm-hmm. because he, you know, it, it took like three or four weeks before he decided to speak publicly because he didn't. So he didn't say nothing, um, in front of the, the French citizens, uh, before, you know, three weeks. And at the end of the day, it was like, so you, start, you, you, you waited three weeks for people to be in the street, so violence to happen, in, including police brutality, to make people understand that it was possible to, Give up, you know, at the, at the at the very beginning. So I think that it's not. um I don't think it's enough. I think I think that it's the the protests will stop for sure uh, on the ground. But that now there is people understand that they have uh, the power. They have a power that they didn't they didn't realize before. And I think that it will play a role, uh, you know, in in the upcoming years. Mm. Uh, and it will be very difficult for Macron to govern because people on the ground understand that they have, you know, they can't really uh, pressure him. They can pressure the government. Mm-hmm. And they didn't realize that they have so much power.
0: You wrote a great piece, I believe, on aljazeera.com, where you talked about a whole bunch of different elements of this protest movement. But you also wrote that the yellow vest movement shouldn't be interpreted as a public rejection of policies to address climate change. Could you talk a little bit about why you believe that and, and what policies you think should or could be pursued to address climate change that might actually have public support?
2: Yes, because I uh, thank you. Thank you for the piece. I didn't say that the rise of the fuel was meant to support the transition to, you know, energy and um the thing is that people are not against policies that would support the the, the climate, you know the the, the 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 measures to prevent uh the climate change but uh they feel like maybe um the, solidar- the solidarity should involve more uh the for example the companies that pollute pollute much more or maybe uh having a tax on terrorism that uh is the fuel for planes would be more um Maybe just mm-hmm. because people who use who, who travel by plane, uh, it's not like in the US where people travel by plane for short distances. In mm-hmm. France, people who travel by plane are, are not the same ones; are the ones who you know they they're, they're, they belong to the wealthiest part of the society. So maybe if he at the same time decided to. Um, make the biggest company uh the plane you know the fuel for the plane uh contribute uh, you know uh, be part of that whole policies um against cl- cl- climate change maybe that would have been perceived differently so it's not a movement against ecology against uh, the protection of env- environment but it's in favor of the fact that everybody um uh, you know could, should be involved in that uh, in that effort, that hmm. the effort should be uh, spread uh, all over uh, uh, the people, and not only on the people who really need to 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 who really have to count each euro that they get.
0: Yeah, probably good advice for any country trying to enact climate change policies.
2: Yes, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: thank you. President Macron is—he's you know, fairly young. I think he's forty. He, his party is very new, and he mm-hmm. seemingly won in part because the alternative was a far right candidate from the National Front party, which has a racist, anti-Semitic, anti-immigrant, just horrible history in current, in Mm -hmm. presence. I saw some reports that Marine Le Pen's party, the National Front, is encouraged by the protests, encouraging the protesters, and they see opportunity in the sort of upheaval. Does that worry people at all? Is that something you're seeing as well?
2: Actually, uh, Emmanuel Macron, uh, he was elected because... Uh, there was a rejection of all the traditional parties. He started a party just a year before running for the, for the presidency. And, uh, he, he said he was neither for, neither from the left nor from the right. And he was, um, representing, as he said, a new world. And I think that that's one of the reasons why people elected him because they wanted to get rid of the old, you know, the old fashioned politicians. And they wanted to have a new person, a new face, who is like his 40, he's about to be 41, uh, to represent them. And I think that the 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 other reason why he was elected is that at, on the second turn of the election, he was facing the National Front, which is the far right, and many people rejected uh, the far right more than they um, uh, applauded Emmanuel Macron. Mm-hmm. So. Once he was elected, people realized that he was following the same uh, new liberal agenda as the former president, and there have been much disappointment because he wasn't really a, he hasn't been running France in a very new way. There is not there there are not that many new policies, so that's the reason why there have been a disappointment and kind of rejection. And now, so to that now, uh, the the far right who has never been elected in France since. To certain people, to represent a kind of new alternative. So I'm afraid that the fail, the failure of Macron. I don't know how you know how long it's how how it will be you know in in four years. But for now. It will favor uh, the National Front, especially because we have um, European elections in you uh, know next year for mm-hmm. the European Parliament, and the, the polls are showing that uh, the National Front, the far right, is doing very very well. And she, she uh, Marine Le Pen, who is the head of the far right, hasn't been, hasn't been very vocal because she knows she doesn't need to say anything. Mm. Whatever happens against Macron is is is, uh, is positive to her because people won't go to but won't go back to the old parties, and then. And many people feel like they need to try something new. And the only thing new that hasn't been tried and that is um, visible today is the far right. So I'm afraid that um, the, the rejection of Macron leads to uh, the support of the far right, which is very, very negative, as you said, because it's, uh, the history of the party is rooted into anti-Semitism, uh, anti-immigrant, anti-minorities in general, and and she and and the new the new people of the party have been able to wear a new mask that doesn't display those sentiments uh, that much.
0: Yeah, Oof, that's unnerving. So I I guess my last question for you is, I'm curious, and this might be hard to answer, is where do you think things go from here? I mean, certainly it seems like the number of protesters on the streets each weekend has been going down. Macron has provided some concessions, but maybe not a sufficient number. But there's also a challenge where it doesn't seem like there's a centralized protest leadership that he can negotiate with and really make sure that all parties are satisfied. So I'm just curious how you think this will end or, you know... If it will end,
2: it's very difficult to predict because you know. Have you have you asked me like a month ago that if there would be such a movement against Macron? I would never have guessed that such you know a movement would happen. So what I what I think is that it will be very difficult for Macron now to govern because we've seen that um, there was um, you know. Um, it was he he wasn't because he he was elected when well, once he was elected he wanted to present a very strong face of a government that wouldn't uh um, wouldn't uh maybe uh care about whatever people said that would follow his agenda whatever happens and now we know that he he's not able to do so yeah. so I think that it will be difficult, but at the same time the positive things. From all that is that people you have people who are very isolated who went in the street and all the the, the protests that was that were around the roundabouts um, made people uh, conscious of the fact that they could go together and I don't think that um, it will create a new party but you have you will have probably some people who get into 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 politics and try to be elected and there is a new consciousness in the population uh, of the fact that they can have. A voice and they can get together to think about how to, to think about their destiny. So maybe the, the next step um, should be to rethink the Constitution and the fact that we are now uh, on our uh, what we call the Fifth Republic, and many people in politics think that maybe we should think of a of the Sixth Republic, in order to to maybe involve more more, to to make um, the citizens more involved in the in the in the way we mm-hmm. govern France. So maybe that should be uh, uh, the way we could, you know, uh, have a step a step further to what just happened. Because I think that people need to be to have the feeling that they have a voice, and that uh, the, the the way our constitution is framed now really don't really allow that. So Hmm. maybe that should be the next step.
0: That would be a good next step. Rakaya Diallo, thank you so much for joining the show, for helping me understand what's going on. I think you left me on a hopeful note that there's a whole bunch of people that now realize they have political power and they'll be listened to. That's a good thing, right?
2: Exactly, exactly. That's the, the most positive thing that come out from everything.
0: Yeah, well, if you see Steve Bannon, just deport his ass immediately because that's uh, that's a different direction. We don't want it to go there. Yeah, hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again for doing the show. I really appreciate it. Thank and you. Uh, have Thank a great day. It was
2: a pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks again to Rakai Diallo. Thanks to Ben Rhodes for uh, talking through this weird week in the world. If you like the show, please share it. Tell your friends, like us on, uh, in the iTunes store, wherever the hell you call it, wherever you get your podcasts and, uh, talk to you next week.